welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we begin each week the best way that we know how, and that is by talking IU and Big Ten basketball. I will be joined here in just a minute by Mike DeCourcy, talk about the Hoosiers, talk about the Big Ten, and then we'll dive into the mailbag to answer all of your questions. Before we get to all of that, a couple of quick housekeeping notes right off the top. First, there will be no Banner Monday next week, so mark your calendars appropriately. Uh, it is my wedding anniversary uh, with my wife, so we have plans for that day, so we won't be here, so we won't be able to do Banner Monday. Uh, note number two, as I mentioned before the last episode, the Banner Morning episodes will not be in the main assembly call feed anymore. So I checked. They're available everywhere. You can get podcasts. Search for Banner Morning wherever you listen to podcasts, and you will find them. Or you can go to bannermorning.com for the links to subscribe and to get all the latest episodes. And then finally, as the holidays approach, please keep our sponsors in mind. Uh, SeatGeek, you can use the promo code ASSEMBLY to get $10 off. I was actually just on SeatGeek this weekend getting Hamilton tickets as an anniversary present. Can't wait to go see that. Um, And I really found that the kind of green green dot for good deals, red dot for bad deals really helped. So SeatGeek for sports tickets, concert tickets, whatever you want. And the URL iutickets.shop will take you directly to the IU basketball listings. And then, of course, Home Field Apparel, our friends there, use the promo code ASSEMBLY20. That's ASSEMBLY20. And get 20% off your entire order for yourself or anybody that you need to get gifts for for the holidays. Okay. And with all of that said, it is time now to welcome in for his weekly segment from the Big Ten Network, the Sporting News, and Fox. One of the hardest working men in college hoops, the venerable Mike DeCourcy, who we all want to be like. Mike, I, uh, I promise that even if you don't have IU in the top four of your Big Ten power rankings, I will not swing a football helmet at you. I give you my word. Oh, I do appreciate that. <laughs> we don't condone and, and that on do, the assembly. Choose, choose, to, to choose to swing the end that, uh, that Miles Garrett chose to swing because the business end, that could do some real damage. That could definitely do some damage. Um, all right, so let's start out as we always do, talking about Indiana. The Hoosiers are 4-0. They have played the 11th easiest schedule in the country so far. So of the many things that the statistics say that Indiana is doing well right now, which ones do you think are the most sustainable once we actually get into tougher games and into Big Ten play? Well, I think the first thing that's sustainable is the effort and the, and the, and the uh, investment that I see, and that's, that's sustainable. Look, it's going to be harder to be invested when it's uh, uh, let's say uh, Xavier Tillman, that's trying to stop you instead of the guys that you're running at now, it's going to be harder, but you can care as much. And I'm telling you, I I watched the first 20 minutes of the blowout over the weekend against Troy. And I just love what I see from Justin Smith. That's now four games in a row. it, what this says is that there's no reason he can't be that guy every night. And if he's that guy every night, he's a difference maker because he's a phenomenal athlete. He's a really intelligent kid. He's a skilled player. He's shooting the basketball better than he ever has in his life. And if you add the, the, the shooting ability to his dynamism and to the investment level that we're seeing from him, he becomes a, a game-changing, a team-changing player. doesn't necessarily mean he's the best player in the league or whatever. But, you know, there's, a, there's that glue guy thing that, that, he, that, that is out there that people love. And even if, it, if that's his baseline, and I think it'll be more than that if he continues to perform like this. Uh, and, again, when I say perform like this, I'm not saying he has to shoot 42-9 or whatever from three. It's nice if he does. He doesn't have to. But if he continues to play with that much passion, that much conviction, that much precision, 
and precision's a big part of that. Uh, then he's a, he's a, he's at at minimum the the most dynamic glue player there is in the league and maybe in the country. So that's just really a lot to get from the first four games, and and it, you, it's easy when you're in this circumstance where you're where you know going in you ought to win and. And the opponent knows going in, they ought to win. Uh, you ought to win. And, um, and so, and especially when you play a number of these games in a row, it can get to be a little bit, for lack of a better word, boring. And we're not seeing anybody just say, this is boring. They, they want to win. They want to win every possession. There's a, there's a precision there in most of their possess- possessions that says that they want, they want to get better so that when they do start to see high-level opposition, the habits that you gain in games like these are ingrained, and the habits that you're, you're forming are positive habits. Uh, I, look, I've covered enough teams in my life. Uh, when, I, when I covered Cincinnati uh, from ni- uh, 96, 97 to 99, 2000, I mean, I could almost go in and do Huggins' post-game speeches for him after this kind of game. Because the Bearcats would get up 40 to 15 or whatever. And then they'd stop playing in the second half because they were up 40 to 15 and they'd win by maybe 20. And, uh, you know, it's basically tie the second half, maybe lose it by a point. And Huggins would come in after the game and just rip his team for not caring. And I've seen that, uh, that movie a million times. And not just at Cincinnati, but all through college basketball. But we're not seeing that right now from Indiana. And part of that may be the fact that they've got so many guys competing for playing time that everybody feels a, a, a necessity to invest what they can on each possession. Because if they don't, as we said a year ago, the problem was you could never point to the guys who weren't doing it and say, I'll just play him because, you know, you're not getting it done. There was no him. So now you've got a lot of hymns and you've got a chance to really build a rotation where everybody's going out all out on every possession. It's amazing the difference that makes, huh? <laughs> oh, it, it makes a what, big what a motivator the bench is. Yeah, that's what coaches have said for years, and that that there's no bigger motivator than the bench. And a year ago, Indiana did because of the injuries did not have that available to them, and now they do. But what's nice is to see that no one's really needed it. No one's really needed to be told if you don't play well or hard or smart that we'll just not play you. I mean, they've all gone out for the most part. And look, you're going to have possessions where you make a bad decision. It's in the nature of a game of basketball, you're going to have 70 possessions or whatever it is. And you're going to make some bad decisions. That's, that's going to happen. Uh, it, but it's about whether or not you make that decision because you're not trying hard or you make that decision because you're trying to do the right thing and it just, yeah, somebody makes, so you make a read and somebody makes a different read and then you end up throwing a ball over a sideline. That's going to happen. What are your early impressions of Trace Jackson Davis? And is he, do you think, the, the kind of the early favorite for Big Ten Freshman of the Year with, with several freshmen really having some impressive early season performances? Yeah, it's a little early to make a judgment on that. I mean, uh, uh, we saw, we've seen from Michigan State some impressive performances from freshmen. Uh, so I, I, it's early. I, I think he's really talented. And, and he right now has a good handle on what he does well. He's not forcing perimeter action because the NBA needs to see that he's a stretch four or any of that. But eventually they're going to have to. I mean, he's going to have to learn how to do those things. 
if he wants to make a lot of money in the NBA. I think he knows that. I think everybody, but there's no urgency to that. You do what you do well and build on it. Don't do what you don't do well and show people what you don't do well. So he's rebounding the basketball really aggressively and, and reading what's, what's going on at the rim really well, uh, has a high level understanding of offensive basketball and his role in it at this point. And so that's all good. Now they're the, the question for them becomes when they get into playing teams that are bigger and stronger and more dynamic, what do they do to stretch out those defenses? If you're playing trace along with Joey or along with the Ron, if you're playing those guys, you know, two of those guys at a time, you've got three, you know, you've got two guys on the floor who have a 0.0 three-point percentage. So how do you stretch the defense? I think part of that comes from Trace's ability to pass the ball in the lane from the high post uh, on the move. I think you can do that. You, I think he may be 0.0 from three-point, but I think he can still make a foul line jumper. Uh, so defenses will have to come out. And then from there, he's dangerous as a as a as a shooter from there, the ability to put the ball on the floor and the ability to pass out of that. Uh, so I think that that may be the way to do it, but that's something that we're going to have to see addressed when you aren't able to physically overpower teams any longer. Yeah, I think we're all looking forward to seeing what that will look like. Uh, let's talk power rankings, your top four, as you see it in the Big Ten right now. And where does Indiana fit if they are not among those top four? Well, I, I, I think it's hard to rate Indiana because they haven't, you know, they, they didn't play in the Gavit games. Uh, they, they didn't open with a Champions Classic, say. So others have been asked to do more than the Hoosiers have at this point, but they're playing very well and they'd certainly be close to the top four. They're not, I can't put them in there when they haven't conquered a giant yet. Um, and I don't, I don't, I'm not sure whether uh, Georgetown counts as a giant, but I think what uh, Penn state did last week was pretty impressive doing what they did on the road. Uh, so I'm going to start off with Ohio state, just obliterating, uh, Villanova plus their, you know, their handling of Cincinnati, which is a quality opponent as well. Uh, so I, I, Ohio state right now checks in at number one. Uh, I'm going Penn state number two because of that Georgetown win. I don't think they're going to hold that, but I think they may hold a tournament spot by the end of the year. Uh, this, this is, it was interesting because Penn state decided to, uh, you know, play the Norman Dale. My team is on the floor. thing. <laughs> uh, their coaching staff, they didn't, uh, make a maneuver when a lot of people thought they might. And there were a lot of people looking for names last January and February for who could, uh, who could be the successor there at Penn state. And instead they sit, decided to stay with Patrick chambers. And now they look like they have a real shot at being something uh, Michael Watkins is playing great. Uh, they, you know, they were, they were up uh, high double digits uh, against uh, against Georgetown and Lamar Stevens was playing the worst game I'd ever seen him play. And eventually he got second half. He got to be decent, but they were up 18, maybe 20 on Georgetown with Lamar playing. Like I said, that half was as bad as I've seen him play as a, as a regular at Penn state. So that was a great sign for them. And then they finished it off uh, on third. I'm going to go with Michigan. Uh, really liked what I saw from them in the Gavit games. Thought they did a nice job. I think that, uh, uh, that uh, for a very difficult transition to go from 
one of the most brilliant tacticians we've seen in college basketball and John Beeline to a guy who really, you know, bright guy, uh, really committed, but has never you know, walked in at zero and zero. And to start the way they have, pretty impressive under Jawan Howard. And then fourth, even though they have a loss, I like to usually just go with the undefeateds, but, you know, not everybody out there has opened with Kentucky. So I'm not giving them a pass on that, Michigan State. But then they went on the road, and they may be in what has been – I know it's a, this is not the greatest honor ever but because it's only two weeks old, but what has been the best game of college basketball season so far, the Michigan State season yeah. was just tremendous. And for Michigan State to hold that, hold that one off, uh, I'll stick them in the four slot for now. I appreciate how you do those based on actual results, not just projections. It makes it more interesting, I think. Um, you mentioned the Gavit games, and this is now the second straight year. The Big Ten has won the Gavit games 5-3. I believe the previous years it was always 4-4. Four to four. So the Big Ten overall has an advantage there. Uh, Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, Penn State, and Northwestern uh, scored impressive <laughs> victories. And that was a big win for Northwestern. Um, yes. Purdue, Iowa, Minnesota all lost. Outside of what you've said already, what were your main takeaways from this slate of games? And how important was it for the Big Ten to get these five victories? Well, you remember we sat here a week ago, uh, precisely a week ago, and you asked me concerned they should be the Big Ten should be about the first week of the season. And I told you, you know, let's give it the next week and then maybe the tournament season and see where you are. Uh, I may, you know, obviously the ACC challenge, you can't get whomped on that thing. Uh, you got to be competitive. But I thought that last week was going to be an important week for them. And they came out very well as a conference. Uh, could easily have been six and two if Purdue hadn't let, you know, let the second half get away from them the way they did. Really struggled to score against Marquette. It's a better Marquette defense than it was a year ago. Uh, so somewhat understandable. But uh, Purdue needs to find an offensive formula. Uh, Matt Painter, I, 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 I guess my audience would say, no, they don't. Uh, but <laughs> but they, in order to be the team that they can be, they need to find an offensive formula. And Matt's an excellent coach and probably will. Uh, but the getting those five wins and then topping that off over the weekend with effectively a sixth win in the Gavit games with, uh, with uh, Wisconsin taking out Marquette in their rivalry game uh, was a really good week for the Big Ten overall. Uh, they, 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 you had great performances from a lot of teams that you need to be good. I mean, Villanova went in there playing really well to Ohio state and really a dangerous game for the Buckeyes in a lot of ways. And the Buckeyes just slammed the door as soon as the ball went to the air. I mean, it was a tremendous performance uh, defensively. It, it, it was interesting because you know, you know the names, if you watched Villanova, uh, Colin Gillespie and, 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 and Bay and, uh, Sadiq Bay and uh, and just a number of different guys that they have along with uh, Robinson Earl, their freshman. And you, by the time you'd watch that game for 25, 30 minutes, like 30 minutes, you're like, are any of those guys there? Because they never said their names because they never scored any buckets. I mean, they're just like there was there was nothing happening from Villanova because Ohio State was so solid in that game. So that week was very important for the Big Ten. Now, it's not over. Like I said, you still have to be competitive in the ACC Challenge, and you don't want to get buried in your uh, multi-team tournaments. Uh, you, want to, you want to win as many games as possible in those. But last week was a real strong week for the Big Ten in turning its season forward. You know, Ohio State, what they've done so far this season has been impressive. You know, According to Ken Palm's experience metric, they're 303rd. So, I mean, they are a young team 
how is is Chris Holtman blending you know his returnees like Caleb Wesson with this really talented freshman class that he has, and why is it working so well so early? Well, I think for starters, they're not they're relying on the freshmen to change the team or do too much. They're they're using a spice instead of the meat, so to speak. Mm. Uh, they 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 are basically starting their core regulars, guys who've played a lot of basketball for them. It, at least you know, I mean, what what a veteran is now in college basketball is anything from a sophomore on. Yeah, I mean, like Rob, Rob Finnessy is a veteran for Indiana. Yes, absolutely, uh, <laughs> yeah. no question. If you've played, if you started or been a regular player, and you're a sophomore now, you're a veteran. That's yeah. just the way it is because so many freshmen don't stay, and so many veterans don't stay. So you know, there's there's so so uh, so fewer seniors than there used to be that if you've played a full year as a starter like Rob has. Uh, you're a vet. So they they are basically using that core group and then complementing them with the freshmen and not asking them to do too much. And and as a result, whatever they provide, which has been pretty significant, Carton has been a real nice addition for them in their backcourt, for instance. They don't ha- they don't have to do too much and they elevate. It's almost like in the NBA where you play your re- starters for the first quarter. And then you roll out the, the second unit in the second quarter. And those guys, you know, their main job is to try to hold the fort. Uh, you know, don't get beat by the other team's second unit. And then, you know, and if you can extend it, great. And in this, these guys as a group, when they come in, they are making their bet. I, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Gary Parrish tweeted a little while ago about how the Tennessee-Memphis series is going to be ending you know, and he says in here, such a fun in-state rivalry with great history, but it's true. Penny and Rick aren't best buds. They had that issue last year. You know, Penny Hardaway said something about Rick Barnes, yada, yada. He said, so that was always going to be tough to get around. And I read stuff like that, and it just, it grinds my gears. You know, and obviously, as an Indiana fan who is frustrated that the IU-Kentucky series isn't going, you know, there's obvious subtext, you know, whenever an Indiana fan <laughs> kind of talks about this topic. But I see this, and I think to myself, why can't coaches get over themselves? And remove the pettiness, remove the pride, and schedule rivalry games because they're good for the schools, the fans, and the sport. Am I being too idealistic, or do you see legitimate reasons why rivalries like this you know, go away? Because to me, what it looks like is the egos get too big, and the individuals can't make it happen. Here's what I don't like about where college basketball scheduling has gone over the last 10 years. Even if you take the rivalries out of it, Tennessee... Uh, Memphis, Kentucky, Indiana, whoever, even if you take the rivalries out of it, what I, what bothers me is the lack of respect for the season ticket holder. Now that could be the guy who you know lives in town and donates to the university and sits in the seventh row and has for 20 years, or it could be the, you know, the young woman who's a sophomore at, at, at the college and paid her activity fee and wants to be a part of something that's fun and special and that she remembers and eventually maybe becomes the, the woman who sits in the seventh row for 20 years, okay? I, I don't think that college basketball coaches as a group have enough respect for that person. Look, I, I want them to have a ton of respect for the television audience. I, obviously, I work in television now a lot. So I want them to, but those two things are not mutually exclusive. I mean, playing... Indiana, Kentucky, or Tennessee, Memphis, or even Indiana, Missouri, like whoever, you know what I mean? It doesn't have just good home and homes. There are not nearly enough of those. There are so many games like Memphis is Memphis is playing NC state in Brooklyn or something like 
Who in Brooklyn cares? Like, nobody cares. Last year, St. Louis played Pitt in a game in Brooklyn. It was like a noon start. I still don't know why they did. There were literally like 18 people there. St. Louis and and Pitt and Brooklyn. And it wasn't even a televised (laughs) game. It was like, because I was watching on my phone. I mean, it was like on ESPN Plus or watching or whatever, you know? I mean, like, why? Why don't play? Why don't you play that game at the Pete or at Heifetz Arena? Why not? The, the, the season ticket holder who ha- has a significant investment in this sport, he or she is writing a big check to, as a donor, uh, you know, because any check you get to get a seat is going to be big to somebody. I mean, it may not be like Andrew Carnegie big, but it's still big. Um, and, and always has to write a nice, you know, has to, you know, run a nice credit card bill to, to pay for the tickets as well. And I just don't understand why we continue to schedule these games in, you know, lovely arenas. And I'm not even talking about Maui or Bahamas. Those are great. They're additions. I'm talking about core games like, you know, like uh, NC State Memphis that are being played hundreds of miles away from the fan bases for both teams. It's got to go. It is bad for the sport. It is not good for anybody. And we have more and more and more of these games for the simple reason that college coaches are, and I don't, I'm not afraid to say this, they're afraid to go on the road. They are afraid. The NCAA even said, look, we'll make it easier for you to go on the road. Like, because if you go on the road and you win, you get almost a point and a half for winning on the road. And if you lose, you hardly get punished at all. And they still won't do it. It's bad for the sport. And I, I'd, I'd love to see Indiana, Kentucky, uh, but if we're going to see it, I don't think we need to see it at Lucas Oil or, free, or uh, excuse me, Yum Center or whatever. We need to see that at Assembly Hall and Rupp Arena. And otherwise, you're just contributing to the problem that we have with too many of those types of games. Take a bow, Mike. That was a uh, that was a rant that I guarantee everyone listening to this is going to agree with, and it's. You know, there's a balance there. Like, I, I understand to a certain extent why Indiana's coaching staff scheduled like they did this year with a young team, and I get right. kind of wanting to ramp up. That. Yeah, but but you look at it, and it is a very underwhelming season ticket package for, for the season ticket holders, you know? And it'll be interesting. Attendance has not been great at Simon Scott Assembly Hall. Or it hasn't even really been good, you know, through these first four games. And I know enthusiasm is down a little bit for the program because of missing the tournament three years, but... Obviously, the the opposition has a big part to play in that, and I, you know, it's tough to blame them when you're, you know, you're just not bringing in good competition there. So I, I agree. We yeah, got to see know, more I, of those home I, homes. I think you need to build your team. I get that, and that's not my complaint. Uh, if you need to build your team, do that. But what what bothers me is when you do decide to play a game. And I, again, I'm not talking about crossroads. It's a nice tradition established. And you're not, no, those games are not being played hundreds of miles removed from their fan bases. They're being, you know, they're being right basically, you know, for Butler and Indiana, less than an hour for Purdue. Yeah, you can get there in an hour. And then obviously for Notre Dame, a little bit longer haul. Um, but the, those, that's a different deal. I'm not complaining. I'm not talking about Mizzou, uh, Illinois, the Bragging Rights game, which has been played in St. Louis for 100 years. Great. I'm talking about, like I said, so many of those other games that are just uh, so disposable. And, and again, that's just one example because it came to mind, Memphis, NC State. There are lots of those, dozens, and, they, and there are more all the time. And it's just not good for college basketball to have so many of those. Uh, Vegas, 
the Pac-12 just announced, you know, they, the Pac-12 did the dumbest thing that any conference has done in recent, in maybe the last 10 years when they canceled their series against the Big 12, whatever they Pac-12, Big 12 Challenge, whatever they called it. They can't pull it out. They just decided, you know, we, this is too many good games for us, guys. We can't have it. So they pull out, and then they can't find anybody that will come play them because it's such a far trip. And so they decided they're going to play a challenge series now, and maybe it's the Big 12. I don't even remember who it is. But whoever it is, they're playing the games in Vegas. I mean, come on. Why? What, the, 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 if the Pac-12 wants to be better, they need to be playing at home, just like everybody else. And so that's what I'm talking about, Though the, the proliferation of that. Uh, I understand a season ticket holder at Indiana wants more bang for their buck. Um, I don't know if there's another – I haven't looked at the schedule. I don't know if there's another big game outside the league that even comes up. I mean, a year ago they had Marquette at home. Florida State and Arkansas are the two in, the, in yeah, December, I mean, which are going to be good games. Yeah, Yeah. so, uh, you know, I, I obviously I understand it's rolling out a little slow while others are playing these fun games and you happen to be not in the Gavit games or whatever. But the most important thing is that, you know, eventually you're going to get 10 good games in the league. You yeah. know. So it's still a good deal. I'm not, you know, I, for, for IU basketball fans, it's still a good deal because you're still getting, you know, a dozen really good games and the chance to watch your team construct. And hopefully by the time the good games come around, we'll have our, both of our starting guards back. Cause that'll certainly make those games more fun. In out, in out. I get I it. Um, last question for you, Mike, what games are you going to be paying attention to the most this week around the conference? What game should fans well, check in on? Well, that's an excellent question. Um, and you know, I think I would start with, uh, you know, I, I, I'm curious to see, I'm trying to, I guess I'm looking at the, uh, at the schedule. Um, yeah, right I, haven't even, I haven't even looked myself. I don't even know what game. Yeah. You know, I, 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 you know, I'm curious to see a little bit how Maryland continues to develop. And they've got a couple of BTN games this week. And they, you know, they have not had the most difficult schedule to date. They did a really nice job on Rhode Island. Um, they've got George Mason coming up this week, which I think, uh, you know, might be kind of interesting. You know, some of the other teams are taking a little bit of a, a, a spin back. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's not the, the overwhelming lead, you know, uh, week for the league that we've seen uh, a week ago with the Gavit games. A lot of teams are you know, kind of in Indiana mode, if you want to say it that way. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> we we don't want that branded as Indiana mode. <laughs> uh, uh, just teasing. Just just teasing. Uh, but tonight, uh, there is a game Illinois has at home against Hawaii. Uh, I'm sorry. Actually, that's a neutral court game as well, speaking of. Uh, it's not at home. Uh, it's another neutral court game. But uh, they have Hawaii. Uh, hmm. That's on ESPNU. And, you know, I think that one's kind of uh, an interesting game because uh, – Illinois had that really uh, disappointing performance at Arizona, and I think they need to get back on track, back to playing uh, the way they're capable of playing. They are turning the ball over on 27% of their possessions right now. That is insane. That's very much uh, uh, impacted by the end of their nickel state game, uh, as well as the whole of the Arizona game. But this is an important game for them. It's it's not a you know it's not a walkover type game uh, so yeah. uh, one of the few teams that has an interesting challenge to me this week. Well, Mike, as always, we appreciate your time. We talked to IU Big Ten, and we got a bonus rant about scheduling that uh, everybody's going to like. So we we appreciate your time. 
You bet, Jared. Thank you. Yeah. And so no next week, but then we'll talk to you in two weeks. Sounds great. We'll have a lot to talk about. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Thanks, Mike. All righty, everybody. Good stuff, as always, from our good friend, Mike DeCourcy. Uh, I am going to bring in Chad Swartzkoff to join me here for the mailbag. Ryan, so Ryan was going to be here. Uh, he texted me yesterday. He is going to the opening of the Colin Cowherd restaurant. He got that assignment for the big lead. I just saw him tweet out a picture of a hamburger. So I guess he's going there and doing a tasting of the Colin Cowherd restaurant. I did not know that Colin Cowherd was putting a restaurant together, but apparently he is. So that is what Ryan is. So, Chad, we appreciate you being able to hop on on, uh, on short notice. Welcome yeah, to no Banner problem. Monday. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I hope that Ryan is doing one of those eating challenges. He's got a big hamburger he's got to eat or something like that to go for a T-shirt or something. And then we get to see pictures of that. Um, Madeline will hopefully help us help us out with that. Yes. Yes, I hope so. I, hopefully she's there with him getting a, getting a burger herself. Um, all right. So I, I wanted to uh, mention a quick banner moment. You know, I didn't get a chance to be on the IU Troy postgame show and actually just finally got a chance to watch the game fully through this morning. Um, had only kind of caught bits of it. And, you know, as I was watching it, you know, just from listening to the postgame show and looking at the stats, I was prepared to be really impressed with Demise Anderson's offense. And I was. I mean, the shooting was great. I mean, he he just looks so much more locked in offensively. Although I will say, when you go back and look at his game log from last year, he put up decent numbers, decent efficiency numbers against bad competition last year. And so we're going to have to see how that translates. What I was not really expecting to be impressed by, and this happened several times in the first half, was his defense. You know, I've gotten used to Demise, you know, when he's guarding on the perimeter, getting blown by. I think we all have. I don't think it's a lack of effort on Demise's part. I just think he doesn't move that well laterally, and his defensive instincts aren't great. You know, he just, it takes him a moment or two to kind of recognize what's happening, and his technique isn't great. All things that I think he's working on and that are getting better. But they haven't been great. But there was a, I think it was like three possessions out of five. On two of them, he was guarding a ball handler outside of the three-point line. The guy tried to drive in on him, and he just kept the guy from doing it. It was nothing complicated. He just stayed in front of him, you know? And and again, for a guy who's really struggled to keep people in front of him, that's all he has to do. Just don't get blown by and create a huge help rotation situation. And he did that. Kept the guy out of the lane. Now, this is a guard from Troy. You know, it's going to be a little different if Xavier Simpson's out there or, you know, name, uh, you know, another talented wing in the Big Ten. But still, you know, it was progress. Um, and, and, you know, so that was really nice to see. And then on another, uh, you know, couple possessions later, he was really active, really fast, getting back in transition, was alert and got a steal and ended up going the other way. And I think he might have actually scored the bucket um, on the other end. And it was just this little stretch where I kept finding myself saying, wow, solid defense from Demise. And. That's important because, as we know and as we're seeing, you know, Demise has the shooting. He's got some of the offensive instincts, especially as his game continues to develop, to really help this team. And I continue to believe that you know, some of what we're seeing offensively, there's been a lot of good, but a lot of this, okay, maybe not a lot of it, some of it is not going to translate when the competition gets a little bit better. And at some point, you need a guy who can go get you a bucket. And we've talked a lot about who can be isolation scorers for this team. You know, Devontae, obviously. You know, Rob can be a guy who creates... Um, although not always for himself. You know, Jerome can be that guy. Demise has that ability too. I mean, he can shoot off the dribble. He can make a three. You know, he is kind of wired to score. We saw it in high school. And so as he gets more com more confident, more comfortable, I think we'll see that come out more. The big question is going to be, can you play him because of what he's doing defensively? And 
based on what we saw over the first three games, it was a continuous reminder that he's not quite ready for that yet. What I saw in the Troy game suggests that, you know, he made a little bit of an improvement. Now, it might have been a one-night thing. It might have been a competition-driven thing. I offer all of those caveats. But it's been a while, maybe ever, that I walked away from a stretch of IU basketball saying, wow, Demisi played good defense there. So I tip my cap to him for making some improvements in the Troy game. Hopefully, it's a sign of things to come. Because if so, then he's a guy who can really contribute as a sophomore. Maybe we don't have to wait for him to be a junior and a senior, and I think that could really help this team this year. So yeah, he's the he's got the easy. defense. I think that you don't you don't recognize if he's doing well and he's doing what he should be. You don't see that he's playing well on defense. You have to really look for it, like you did. But I think that if when he's doing it wrong, when he's reacting wrong, then that's when you kind of notice it, and when you notice that he's not doing the right things. I like what you said about him possibly being good at the big shots because what we saw and inside the hall had a great breakdown of a few plays that he was involved with. He is a good guy at running the plays and finding the picks and getting to those, those positions that he needs to be in. And he's great at lifting up uh, in the middle of the, uh, of the offense and, and shooting those, those jumpers, uh, those mid range jumpers. Uh, it's weird that he jumps for those, but doesn't for his three pointer, but whatever, um, whatever but works he's, for you. <laughs> he's he's very good at those. And and that could be something that Indiana leans on um, when we need to, because they may be looking at a bigger person like uh, a Devonte green or a Rob fantasy or, or someone else to take that shot. Not, not uh, accounting for it to So yeah. it could be a weapon. Yeah. And again, I'm not ready to count on it yet because we've got to see it against, against better competition, but you know, we always talk about habits in these games, and I just think we're starting to see a little, you know, some better habits from him. I think he's a guy who really tries hard. I, I really do, and I think he wants to do the right things. And now we're starting to see it a little bit more. All right, uh, Chad, let's dive into some of these questions. We got some good ones, um, so let's hit these. Alex says Indiana stepped up their team play against Troy, sharing the basketball and swarming on the perimeter. In what other areas do you believe IU needs significant improvement uh, in the three more games before Florida State? Well, you know, I think obviously, I mean, the biggest thing Indiana needs in the games, you know, between now and Florida State is to get the guards healthy. Like, that's the most important thing that needs to improve is the guard health. You know, Rob was out. Fortunately, it was an illness, I guess, that kept him out. You know, I, I thought Archie's comments about Rob's physical condition were really ominous in his um, media availability before the Troy game. And it kind of made me wonder if Rob was going to be out anyway, you know, because he took that shot at the end of the North Alabama game. He's been dealing with this abdominal thing. And then he was out because of strep throat, so just another thing to kind of add to the list. But, you know, strep throat is something that will go away, and hopefully, you know, so hopefully that doesn't linger. Devontae obviously got back, which is great, um, but, you know, he still needs to be able to practice more. And then, you know, Al, I think, continues to, to be hurt a little bit, too, as, you know, Joel says in our chat, you know, had a wrist brace, you know, he's got the knee wrap. I, I, defensively, to me, he's looked like he's hurt, as I've mentioned, so that, to me, is the biggest thing. You know, I think, you know, Florida State, I think I just looked, their uh, effective height, they're the fourth tallest team in the country. Indiana's going to be able to counter that because Indiana's in the top 20. And so I think it's going to be a big opportunity for Trace and Race and some of Indiana's big young guys to really get a taste of what it's like playing against real elite college level athleticism and size. How ready they're going to be for that, I don't know, but I'm excited to see it. I don't know if there's going to be anything over the next few games to prepare them. So I think the thing that you want to see is for them to just continue to be relentless. Build the habits of relentlessness, and that will help when the athleticism and the size of the opposition gets a little bit better. But those, to me, are the two things. Get the guards healthy, because I think the perimeter defense is going to improve as a natural byproduct of the guards getting healthier. And then for the big guys, especially the young big guys, 
just keep being relentless on the glass, running in transition, you know, and I think that's that's what will help for Florida State. But either way, that's going to be a wake-up call for them, and it's going to be interesting to see how they respond to it real time once that game hits. Well, I what think, think an- another thing that we need to kind of improve on in that, and it's something that we haven't seen much, and it's been partially because of the competition we've played against, is our feeding the ball inside to those guys in positions on the post. That's something that we're going to have to do for Florida State, like you said, just because of their size. We have, we've had a lot of points in the paint, but that's been a lot of drives and dishes and, and that kind of stuff. It hasn't been much um, uh, what we loved last year from Duran. Duran down on the block, calling for the ball, begging for it, and then just banging against his player and, and putting it up there. Again, I know that's part of the competition we've been playing against, um, but in these next couple of games coming up to Florida State, I, I'd like to see it a little bit more. I'd like to see a little bit more plays to it, a little bit more lobs over the top to them. Um, and, and see those guys go to work because um, they'll need to against Florida. Yeah, and I guess that's really that's probably another area of improvement that I would like to see is Duran and Joey Brunk when they're out there being able to be more impactful in half court offense because it's really easy for Indiana to get by these early games without those guys having a big impact because you're running up and down the court. That's not the kind of game that Joey Brunk or Duran Davis is going to succeed in anyway. But when the game slows down and it's a bit of a slog, that's where I think those guys are really going to be effective because they're experienced and they are accomplished offensive players. It's easy to forget that because they haven't done much so far this season, but those guys are good offensive players. And so I think there's going to be times, and I think a game like Florida State may be an early example of this, where those guys are going to be needed to both score on the block and be good passers out of the post. And I think we'll see that there. You know, I don't know how many minutes they'll play, because I think they, you know, defensively, obviously, they can get put in some difficult situations. But I think Duran more than Joey is really going to play an important part in that game. I just, you know, these teams with size, experienced teams, big teams, I think Duran's going to play a huge role in all those games. So it would be nice to see him get into a little bit of a rhythm prior to that game. But, you know, the Florida State game really is going to be the first time that I truly judge him because well, I just and, think he's, and- he's been there before. Yeah, and another asterisk to see during that game, too, is going to be Trace Jackson Davis. That'll be the first kind of real competition he'll see in size. Right now in these early games, he's been able to flourish because he has both his size and athleticism that it, that is just allowing him to dominate over the competition that he's playing against right now. So Florida State will be the first of one of the first real big tests for him, and, and I think he's up for it, but we'll see. Hopefully that isn't too much shock to him. The, the veteran size that they have um, will know how to handle him to a degree. So yeah. that'll be kind of his first college basketball uh, welcoming, I should say. By the way, good note from Joel. He said he would love to see the assembly call devote a few minutes to I, the IU women's basketball team, number 18 in the nation. Solid play on both sides of the ball. I agree with you completely. Um, we need to find somebody who knows the women's basketball team. I mean, I'm the first one to admit. I'm excited about you know them and cheering on their success, but I you know don't really get a chance to watch them play and don't know a ton about them. Um so I, you know, I'd love to find somebody who does and talk more about the women's team because it's exciting what they're doing. You know, they're in the top twenty-five. Terry Morin's building something really good there. So I, I appreciate them, Joel, and that is a good uh, note. We had, you know, one of our interns, Michael, was going to do a show on the women's basketball team and kind of get that going. Um, and obviously, he moved on to um, bigger and better things now. He's in, uh, by the way, he's in Mississippi working for a local station there, doing a great job. Um, but yeah, we need to, we need to figure out something for the women's basketball team. Cause I agree with you. They're, they're fantastic. It's just not really our wheelhouse of expertise. Uh, and I wouldn't want to do a bad job analyzing it as people now snicker and say, you think you do a good job <laughs> analyzing the men's team? <laughs> well, we try anyway, we at least have seen the games. Um, okay. 
on to Lee's question. Would you agree that depth and sharing the ball and finishing around the rim seem more like a hungry team wanting to reestablish the Indiana tradition of intense competition? Seems an urgency is present this year. Uh, I agree. I do, you know, I think we've seen a sense of urgency at times. Like, I didn't think the first half against North Alabama there was much of a sense of urgency, but I thought they responded to the coach after that. And I think for the most part, we've seen that. The Hoosiers have certainly been relentless on the glass. Um, you know, but I think the point that Mike DeCourcy made was a really good one. Everybody's got someone behind them that could take their minutes. There's a lot of competition now on this roster. One through 11, every player that's on the team is a legit guy. And that hasn't always been the case. And so I think, you know, I think part of it, you know, yeah, it does seem like there's better team chemistry and guys are in new roles and seem to be embracing their new roles, at least early in the season. But I also think they kind of have to because there's someone behind them that'll take their minutes. And so more than anything, I think this season is reestablishing, as, as Lee says, the intense competition. For me, it's the intense competition for minutes, you know, because, you know, the best IU teams have had that. You know, either a really, really experienced team that maybe had a short bench. Think of the 2013 team. Think of the 1993 team. You know, those teams were veteran teams. They didn't necessarily have guys pushing them. Calvert Cheney didn't need anybody pushing him for minutes. Victor Oladipo didn't need anybody pushing him for minutes. You know, like they were self-motivated. But, you know, other teams have been deeper. And you've had these rosters where, you know, everybody can play. And you can mix and match your starting you know, your, your starters. And if guys aren't playing, you can put them in. And I think Archie now in his third year has developed that kind of roster. That to me is, is the biggest reason why the urgency is there early in the season and why I think it might continue. I think, I think it's a mixture. It's a good, perfect storm too, because if, if you have a deep team like that, um, animosity can, can, uh, rear its head too. You can get guys that are, are battling against each other in the wrong way and are arguing, why is that guy playing when I should be and everything like that. And there's a togetherness with this team, um, along with what he was kind of saying, with with the culture and and these guys liking each other, that allows that to be good competition. It's healthy competition that's going on for minutes. It's not a competition of uh, of arguing. It's a competition of I'm going to be better, so you've got to be better, so we can all be better together. Kind kind of mentality that's going on with the team. It's also important to note this. You know, last year around. You know, the end of December, first of January, we thought that team had pretty good chemistry too. And it's easy to have good chemistry when you're winning and the record is good and things are happening. You know, chemistry, the character of a team really shows when the chips start to fall, when guys get injured and the losses start to pile up and you're struggling. What do you do? Do you come out and lay an egg at home against Nebraska or do you, you know, rally around each other and say, this isn't happening? You know, Indiana didn't do that until late February last year. And so, you know, I don't want to get too carried away with all this improved chemistry stuff yet because a lot of Indiana teams have looked like they had great chemistry through the first couple of weeks in November when they haven't really been tested. You know, I mean, shoot, the you know 2017 team was ranked fourth in the country, was beating Kansas, was beating North Carolina, and that thing completely fell apart and looked like it had no chemistry later in the year. So these things reveal themselves over time. You know, I do think, there does seem to be a stark contrast between how much fun this group seems to be having and what we saw in January and a lot of February last year. So I grant that, but we do need to be a little patient on just how great the chemistry is until we see this team go through some ups and downs, go through some adversity and see how they come out on the other side. That will really reveal because that to me, Chad, that's where the stuff that you talked about can start coming out. You know, you start losing and someone says, well, shoot, I'm only playing 11 minutes. If I was playing more and getting more shots, we'd be winning. 
you know, that's where that kind of stuff can come out. So let, let's be patient and see that. But so far, so good. Certainly, there's haven't there's nothing nothing bad to point to yet. Which is, you know, but I mean, it's all we can say. We only have a couple of weeks in November and a few games against bad teams, so we can only go on what we what we've seen. Patrick says, with a team identity of defense, it always miffs me that uh, Archie Miller talks offensive stats uh, early and often after a game. What are one or two individual defensive stats that we can look at, and where can we find them? <clears throat> Number one, I, you know, I would be careful a little bit reading too much into what Archie says after a game. Archie's there to put his time in, and I think when when you know when he's analyzing something, I think he, he I think he is a pretty straight shooter. I mean, I think he tells you what he thinks about how a guy plays and how something went, but he will just kind of glance, you know, oh Al, you know, twelve points, four assists, you know, three rebounds, had a nice game there. And he will do some of that. I just don't read into it that much. I don't think he's basing his coaching decisions off of box score stats. I really don't. I think that's just something in the moment that's convenient for him to say in a press conference. So, you know, he is a guy who values defense. We see that, you know, when he has a bench big enough to make good decisions, we see that he values that with the playing time that he doles out. So, I again, I just wouldn't put too much into that. But... What I would say about numbers, and especially defensive numbers, is that there are no numbers that you can find that are going to paint a complete picture of a player's defensive contributions. Just like there aren't any numbers that can really paint a full picture of a player's offensive contributions, but there are more numbers on offense, so I think you can get a little bit more about what a guy does offensively than defensively, which I think is kind of the heart of this question. So if you're looking for some numbers on defense... The three that I would tell you to look at, and this is where you can go to Ken Palm and you can get these numbers, instead of the raw you know, rebound, steal, and block numbers, which can obviously be heavily influenced by just the minutes that a guy plays, but doesn't necessarily tell you how efficient he is when he's on the court, look at someone's defensive rebounding percentage, their steal percentage, and their block percentage. I, think, I, think, I just think these are better metrics of how efficient a guy is at getting rebounds and being a disruptive defender. Now, you know, if you want to know the context for steal and block percentage and why those are important, you know, again, those are numbers that tell how disruptive a player is. Here is a list of guys in the Ken Palm database since 2002 who have played a significant number of minutes and had block and steal rates over two. Okay, so both their block and steal rates were over two percent. All right, OG, Victor Oladipo, Cody Zeller. Jared Jeffries, Troy Williams in 2016, though not his other seasons, Juwan Morgan, his sophomore and junior seasons, Deron Davis, his sophomore year. Now, you could argue with him playing significant minutes there, but, uh, and then Devontae last year, and then this year, right now, Justin Smith, Trace, Jerome, Deron, and Race all have steal and block percentages this high. That won't continue. It's just very noisy early season stats, but think back to those guys that I just mentioned, OG, Victor, Cody, Jared Jeffries. And then, you know, that one season from Troy, Juwan, those guys have been some of the best defenders that we've had, certainly in terms of disruption. So again, you know, steal block percentages, sometimes a guy can freelance, you know, as Troy did. And so he may not be the best team defender. It's more of a disruption. So I, I want to make sure that that context is clear. These do not paint the full picture, but there's a reason why NBA teams really look at steal percentage and block percentage to project a guy to the next level because that's stuff that translates. And it shows that you have the requisite athletic ability and instincts to impact the game on the defensive end when you're locked in. So if you know, if you can see a guy with your own eyes that you see, hey, this is a good help defender, he's in the right spot a lot, and you see that he's 
got a good steal percentage and a good block percentage, that guy's probably a pretty good defender. You know, like an OG, like a Victor. Now, other guys, they might be just solid defensive players. They don't have the big steal and block percentages, and that's fine. They're good cogs in the defensive wheel, but maybe not difference makers like those guys are. So that's how I would use those numbers <clears throat> if you're trying to, if you if you really want some kind of statistical number to assess defense. Um, anything else that you look at to to do that, Chad? No, I mean, defense, like you said, those are the best stats you can look at. And those are ones you really have to dig for. The rest of kind of defense is honestly, it's just, it's the eye test. You've got to go back and, and just kind of review the game to see uh, moments that happened, uh, possessions, the foul, when, when we took it down to the foul clock, uh, the shot clock down, who was disrupting passes. Um, I mean, you're not going to have track stats on, on guards, Rob Fennessy up on the guard, denying him to get the ball passed and, and getting the shot clock to go down. There's lots of things that aren't going to be tracked. That's why Zach McRoberts is, is not going to, doesn't have the big IU uh, stat sheet, career stat sheet. But um, if a lot of these things that you want to see and would show a good defensive uh, player uh, were tracked, then you would be able to see those things. But it's just, again, it, it's an eye test type of, type of uh, position. Everyone by the way, offense. Zach McRoberts <laughs> did have great steal rates. You know, three point six percent, two point three. He just wasn't blocking shots, so he didn't have that combo. It's that it's that combination that's rare, and you know that's why you know Trace Jackson Davis is has a block percentage right now of eleven point five percent, which is insane. And, and I think you know if you want to look at you know a number to kind of show some improvement for Justin Smith, we know he's got the athletic ability of an OG or Victor Oladipo, you know, but he's never been that disruptive of a defender. Right now, he's got a block rate of 3.3% and a steal rate of 4.3%, both by far better than he's ever had. Will it continue? Probably not, because the competition is going to get better. But that, is, that to me, is a, a, something that you can look at in the statistics that absolutely matches what we're seeing with the eye test. Like, he is more engaged, he's more disruptive, and you see it in the numbers. So, you know, but you just, you have to, you have to use both, obviously. Um, and that'll give you a more well-rounded picture. The other thing you always have to take into mind with defense is what is the scheme and you know what are the, the kind of the assignments each player has. And sometimes we don't fully know that if you're not in the locker room. So, you know, you gotta be careful assigning blame or giving credit, you know, unless you really know what they're trying to do as well, because sometimes that can, you know, that can play into it too. Uh Bill says deflections and defense oh, he was responding to this. He said deflections and defensive rebounds are a couple of stats, and that's true. We laugh about deflections, um, but it is a stat that a lot of coaches track, and it does kind of show disruptiveness. It's just not the be-all, end-all. Uh, but Bill says, I would like to have a stat on the number of successful stops and our points given up in pick-and-roll situations. I still believe this is one of the team's biggest vulnerabilities and will only get more exposed as the competition intensifies. Again, this is not something that you're going to find in a box score. This is not something that you will find on Ken Palm. But if you are a real basketball nerd and you have a subscription to Synergy Sports... You can find this information as well. And I happen to be such a basketball nerd. And so right now for the season, Indiana has been in 60 possessions uh, in a pick and roll where the ball handler keeps the ball or ends the possession with the ball. And in those 60 possessions, Indiana has given up 35 points, which is really good. That's 0.58 points per possession. That's, you know, in the 70th percentile. So it's good. And those numbers, again, are very noisy early in the season. But you may recall that we were talking about how the pick-and-roll defense wasn't good, and it wasn't going into the Troy game. 12 possessions against Troy, they scored zero points. <laughs> so that certainly helps the overall numbers. 
And again, matches. I thought Indiana defended the pick and roll better. You know, the guards were much better at getting through the screen. We just competed harder on it. You know, you didn't see as much of the high, you know, hard hedging as we had before. Uh, and Indiana also defending uh, the pick and roll well too. When the uh, when the roller gets the ball in 17 of those possessions, they've given up 12 points, uh, which is in the 78th percentile. So it needs to get better. Uh, obviously, I think there have been breakdowns in pick and roll defense that better offensive teams would take advantage of. So those numbers to me seem a little bit inflated, or I guess deflated, depending on which direction you want to look at it. Um, either way, I think you know the pick and roll defense needs to improve to Bill's point, but you can't actually see those stats. So again, as with any stat, got to know the context, you know, match it with what you see on the court, but you know, the numbers can obviously help you uh, just add more context to what you're seeing out there. Bill says, do you believe coach Knight will attend a game this season? And if so, what game would you guess it to be? This is a question, Chad. Everyone is asking now that coach Knight has uh, kind of returned to the Indiana fold a little bit. He's back in Bloomington. He's hanging out with the Hoosier hysterics, you know, coming out to that event, taking the microphone, which was great to see kind of surreal to see also. Um, what do you think? Is coach I, Knight I, coming I, to a game? I hope he does. I, I, I think Archie has the door open. I think he's welcome. It's it's up to the administration, <clears throat> excuse me, above Archie. If 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 that door is also open as well, uh, with the powers that be that um, have power over Archie, um, I think he will be. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see it at the Purdue game. Obviously, everyone and anyone wants to see that happen. That'd be, that'd be great. Plus, that's uh, the game that we'll be at. So <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 and again, I I don't want it to be, uh, I I mentioned this when I did my morning show the other day, uh, I don't want it to be a big fanfare or anything like that. I want an acknowledgement. I want coach to come out, applause, wave and everything like that. And then, and then, and then walk off. I just, I want a curtain call to say like that. I I don't want him to have to say anything or anything else major. I, I, I want it to be simple. And, and just uh, a nod or a bow kind of thing. Yeah. Or, you know, sitting courtside and jawing at the officials <laughs> the entire game, too. That would be that'd be nice for old time's sake. Um, yeah, look, I, you know, I don't know. I've gone back and forth a little bit on this. You know, when he started making the comments about, you know, how he wished that everybody from the administration was dead and, and all those things, you know, and kind of and not showing up for the 76 event and doing some things that, to me, kind of felt like thumbing his nose at the program and some of the teams that you know that that made him special some of the players that made him special it soured me on it and kind of made me not want to see it and then you see him at the hysterics thing and it's like all right that's that's pretty cool you know it like it's it's nice to see it you know and if nothing else even if the sentimental part of you just is kind of feeling nonplussed about it because of everything that's happened since then just to have it to kind of complete that circle and I guess just end the constant speculation and allow everybody to move on, I think it would be a positive for that. And, and I do ultimately, you know, I think it'd be nice, you know, for him to be there, to see that moment, you know, to be able to get that, you know, that curtain call, as you said, that applause. I do think it'd be a great moment. And so, you know, let let bygones be bygones, water under the bridge. Let's kind of come back together as a family and then move on. So I, my emotions about it have kind of gone on a roller coaster the last three or four years, but it's funny. Like you, when the moment hits you, when you see it in the video on the Hoosier hysterics thing, it's like, all right, yeah, I, that's cool. And you know, it would be cool to see him at a game. I, so I, I think, I've gone I think all over the place with it because of what you said, even too the comments that he's made, I think he's always thought that the fan base doesn't like him or the fan base as a whole 
is angry or mad at him. And I think the Hoosier hysterics event helped that in his mind. And he even, he even poked fun at that. Someone asked, when are you going to assembly hall next? And he said, well, let's go tomorrow kind of thing. Obviously he wasn't going on Sunday. He wasn't there, but um, he was at least poking fun at it uh, rather than just kind of, I mean, coach was always an honest guy. He would have been like, I'm not going back in there. I mean, he could have grumped and said that, but he didn't. So he at least played fun at it. Yep. Uh, so, you know, it'll be interesting, obviously. We'll see what happens with that. But yeah, if it's the Purdue game, that'd be really cool because we'll be there and I would absolutely stand up and applaud. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom, Justin Smith has been a below average defensive rebounder throughout his college career and his defensive rebounding percentage so far this year is lower than Robert Finnessy's was last year. Holy moly. Let me actually, so let me look at Justin Smith's. So Justin Smith's defensive rebounding percentage as a freshman, it was 14%. As a sophomore, it was 12%. And as a junior, it was 10.3%. So it's actually, it's gone down a little bit this year, although his offensive rebounding percentage is about double what it was last year. Um, So that has definitely improved. Uh, Tom says, yet he's a good offensive rebounder. What is he doing wrong as a defensive rebounder? I mean, I think with Justin, tell me if you agree with this, Chad. I mean, I think there are some times when he is very fundamentally sound as a rebounder. And like when he's really engaged defensively, I think you see some great blockouts from Justin. And sometimes he doesn't get the ball, but his blockout leads to a guard getting the ball. And then there are other times when he's just kind of not that into the physical part of the game and, you know, isn't attacking the rebounds either. And you just, you know, you kind of see it go by the wayside. So, you know, I granted, I think for a guy with his physical tools, he should be, you know, better than 10, you know, 10.3%. What was, let me see what Juwan's defensive rebounding percentage was last year. So last year, Juwan's defensive rebounding percentage by way of comparison was 20.9%. Romeo's was 12.8%. So yeah, I don't don't see any reason why Justin can't be up there as a defensive rebounder, certainly. Um, But I think we'll see that number grow as, you know, it can also now you got Trace in there, you got Race in there, like you've got some really good defensive rebounders. You know, Ryan's mentioned this in a couple of shows. Don't look as much at the rebounding numbers for individuals. Look at it as the team. And I think that cuts into it a little bit for Justin because I think this year his offensive rebounding shows that he's more engaged as a rebounder but he's got some pretty darn good rebounders you know sucking some of those up too so I'm, I, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely not concerned about that number yet no I'm, I'm chalking it up to exactly what you said he, the, the people that are around him are under the basket taking care of it and then look at the look at the lineups that we've had to do he's been at the three a couple times so he hasn't really been under the basket there yeah uh to get him so he is playing out of position and everything and and there's other guys that can get it. So I I'm, I think that it'll go up. The other thing, too, to watch with Justin is for a guy who is absolutely one of the best transition finishers in college basketball, I think sometimes he has a tendency to leave a little early, too. I mean, he wants to get out and go. And that's not always a bad thing. I mean, you know, especially you know, if he's confident that we're going to get the rebound. Now, sometimes that can lead to Indiana not getting the rebound, and that's the downside of it. But him getting out and getting ahead of the defense also leads to some easy buckets. And you're going to have to take a little bit of good with a little bit of bad there. But I do think that's probably some of it as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I think it's a good observation from Tom. Um, so, you know, and we'll see where that number goes for the rest of the season. But I think overall, he's been better so far this year. That's a number that I don't really trust um, in terms of what it purports to be saying when you just look at the raw number. Uh, okay. And then Lee says after four games, depth and team play appear to be strengths, synergy, the whole stronger than the parts. And this kind of gets back to, you know, what Lee mentioned earlier and what we talked about earlier. You know, it, it seems that way right now, the increase just talent on the roster is going to help with the competition, but we've just got to wait and see until things go wrong 
to see what this team is really made of. I, you know, I like it so far. I think they've. It's. It feels like some of these lineups are starting to get more chemistry together, but we just have to see because the lineups that worked against Troy, I don't think are going to be the same kind of lineups that are going to work against Florida State. So we're just, you know, we're just going to have to see how that all how that all shakes out when the competition gets better. And I can't wait to see it because I like this team. I like these guys. I have fun watching them play. So you know, hopefully that continues. Well, and continue to play fast like we can, and hopefully that that can continue and we can wear out teams and then the depth that we have, we can spread out the minutes and we can always be throwing fresh legs at the other team. So that's, that's the benefit of that. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. Will you tell people real quick what you're doing for those who haven't uh, checked out who's your, who's your morning after? What is, what's your goal with that show? Where can people subscribe to it? Why did you launch it? Yeah. Let people uh, know real quick. Yeah. Who's your morning after I kind of had the idea, um, when we went into the offseason, Hoosiers, we're kind of quick to jump to conclusions. We're quick to kind of react to things. Uh, the Mike Roberts uh, hiring was kind of one of the first ones, too. Jared, you kind of even fell prey to that as well, too. You you, you yep. admitted that you text the guys and everything. So Coach talked idea. me off the ledge, and that was a, it was a terrible take by me. I'm glad we weren't on... <laughs> I'm glad we weren't live on a show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, we react quickly, and everyone does that. And that's a, that's a product, I think, of social media and, and, and how we are now. Um, so I had the idea that um, a lot of times after games, I feel down on myself, or after a loss, I feel really aggravated, or you get that high after a win. So I thought, what? well, what, what's, what's my thoughts after I let that die down? When I can kind of really look back and think to maybe when we lose, what are some positives? Or, or when we win, what are some negatives? And just kind of recap some of that. Um, so I, I thought of doing a morning show every morning, uh, the game, the time after games, uh, morning after games, uh, where people are getting ready for the day, they can tune in live or they can watch replays and, uh, yeah, just find me on, on Twitter, general Chadwick. I will tweet out a link to it. Um, I kind of look for people to as well, if you want to, after games, um, submit your questions or your initial thoughts or reactions to the, to the games and, and how they were. And then I'll kind of address those after I've had the moment to think about it and kind of uh, reflect on them. So just another, again, just like everyone else, I'm hungry for to talk about uh, IU basketball and, and take in any information. And I just wanted to be able to kind of contribute to that uh, wonderful sea that we have out there. Boy, it is. There's a lot of IU basketball content, but it's it's good stuff. Like I, I like it because it feels like there's always something to listen to, which is nice. Uh, and always something smart to listen to. And you, could, you should subscribe on YouTube, and then you can be part of the Chad mob uh, while watching... <laughs> While watching Chad show. Uh, let's talk about Princeton real quick. Uh, I'm sure you prepared a detailed scouting report of them, right? Knowing yes, that you're going to yes. be when on you, when the you show. When you texted me at uh, five, five minutes before. Five. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so here's here's what I think is interesting to note about Princeton. They are ranked 223rd, so they are not good, but that does represent about 50 spots higher than the you know than the best team we've played so far this year. There are you know adjusted offensive and defensive efficiencies both are better than any team that we've played this year. So it, again, you know, it's a game that Indiana should expect to win. Indiana's favored to win it by 18 uh, with a 95% chance of victory, according to Ken Palm, but it's at least a step up. You know, now we're done. You know, the highest rated team we've played is 274th. Now you've got Princeton at 223, South Dakota State at 213. There's not a huge difference between those teams, but there is a difference. You know, this team is going to be a little bit bigger, a little bit more athletic. They're not a particularly old team. Uh, Experience-wise, they are the 261st. And, you know, that's one thing I look for in these kinds of games. 
you know, is this a team that could come in and really challenge Indiana? I, I look for teams that have experience because, you know, Kentucky's young and Duke is young and Memphis is young, but they've got all five and four star guys that are young. You know, Princeton's not going to have that. So, you know, they're not going to be overly talented and they're not overly experienced. You know, defensively, they're giving up a lot. They are 347th right now in three-point field goal defense at 46.3%. So teams are really shooting well on them, and they're getting off a lot of threes as well. So it'll be interesting to see from an Indiana perspective, you know, this Indiana team needs to be an opportunistic three-point shooting team. We're, we're certainly shooting the ball better this year. We are shooting 36.2% from three, which is 95th. This is, I kind of thought this is where we'd be, you know, better from three, you know, somewhere between maybe 100 and 150th, but we're still not very high in attempts. You know, we're 317th now, without, in attempts. Without looking too deep at that, Jared, we've got three guys that are above 40%. I know you probably already know, but na- can you name those three guys? Al, Demisi, and Justin. Yep. Okay. Yeah. You cheated on that. <laughs> you knew, you probably knew that. I knew. Well, I looked at that earlier today. Okay. Um, you know, so what I what I'm interested in, just based on how the team's profile, and I haven't watched Princeton play, so you know who knows, but that to me suggests there are going to be open three point opportunities. Does Indiana? Because one thing I've noticed when the offense struggles is when this team shoots threes early in the shot clock. I just don't think you know. Yeah, you want to take some transition threes, but shooting threes early in the shot clock—that's not the recipe for this team. Even if the percentage is better, you know, Justin's fallen prey to this. Devonte took a couple of them last game. And so if there are a lot of those opportunities, are we jumping right to the three-point shot or are we working the offense? My guess is Archie really wants us to work the offense. And even if you were getting a ton of wide-open good looks, you know that to me is the kind of thing that could be a little bit of fool's gold because against good defenses, we're not going to get those. And I don't think we want to fall into bad habits of relying on the three-pointer. The three-pointer needs to accentuate our offense, not drive it. Maybe, in fu- maybe future rosters can be driven more by the three, but we're almost never going to have more than three guys on the floor who can shoot the three. So it's it's just not going to be something that we can dominate teams with. And so I just want to make sure while we're shooting a better percentage, does Justin start falling in love with the three or does he stick with what he's been doing? You know, when Devonte gets back, does he, you know, as, as he's kind of working himself back in now, is he hijacking possessions to take early threes or getting them more out of the offense? I'm curious to see that. And based on the way that, you know, that Princeton kind of profiles statistically, it feels like you'll get some of those opportunities. And it's a fine line because you want to shoot when you're open and this team has been making them, but we've just seen that this team, when they overdo it, and I think we kind of know what that is when we see it, it's not good for the offense. So, you know, this is going to be a team, the 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 free throw rate is going to drive this team more than the three-point percentage. So continue to get into that habit of pounding it down low. Um, and that's the other interesting thing. The one thing Princeton does well defensively, they are 47th in the country, which is good, at not putting teams on the free throw line. They have been disciplined in terms of not putting teams on the free throw line. So that's where the style of play in this game will be interesting. Does Indiana impose its will on Princeton, or do we play a little bit more into their hands and shoot more threes and get too comfortable doing that as opposed to pounding it inside? The 223rd ranked team in the country, I don't really care what their statistical profile is. We should dictate how we play in our gym. So that that's what I'm looking at. What are you looking yeah. at, Chad? I'm, I'm looking at consistency. We got to continue that consistency. That was the great thing that carried over from the Alabama game into the Troy game. Uh, after Archie had his good yelling fest and and took off layers of clothing at the guys, that definitely carried over. We didn't come out stagnant. We didn't come out um, not being aggressive. It, was, it, it, it in fact happened the other way. We kind of trailed off at the end, but again, we were way ahead, so that's going to happen. Um, but I'm looking for that. And then as just kind of curtail on, on, on what you started to say, 
yeah, I, I want to see us go into our sets on offense. I want to see us uh, run some sets. Um, I want to see good ball movement and guys continue to move off those screens and see more of those plays. Guys shooting it because of the play allowed that shot to be open rather than, like you said, getting that first shot that's just there just because you're better than the competition. Uh, the other statistical thing that's interesting to me is they have a really low um, assist rate. So they're clearly a lot of their offense is being generated just by you know, by dribblers and guys kind of creating their own shots. They're, you know, not, not a whole lot of passing leading to shots here. So that suggests to me a team that dribbles a lot. So how do we contain that dribble penetration? Also will be nice to see. Again, it's not a great team, so we can only take so much, but let's get into those good habits. Uh, let's see. In the, uh, in the chat here, John says, what's the name of your podcast again? Dwayne said, I believe General, General Schwartzkopf. No, <laughs> General Schwartzkopf. General Chadwick is the Twitter handle. It is that is kind of confusing when it all kind of runs together. Uh, yeah. General, Tra- it's at General Tradwick on Twitter, and Hoosier Morning After is the name of the show. And if people search for Hoosier Morning After on YouTube, will they find it? Yeah, it, it should come up, up from there. Okay. And do you have the link to it in your Twitter profile too? Yeah, I'll, I'll add it. I'll add it right after this. I don't think I have it in there right now, but yeah, I'll add the the web page for that. Okay. Uh, and Joel would like you to know that he's not sure he can add another podcast because he needs to sleep and work. <laughs> yeah, come on, come on, come on Joel. Joel. Where's your dedication, man? Come on. Um, all right. Any final thoughts, Chad, before we sign off here? Man, we have like we have a whole day before the Princeton game. Now, when the game's on Wednesday, it, it feels like the week is like just delayed starting when there isn't a game until Wednesday. No, I just I just hope that uh, IU is everyone's drinking their emergency. Uh, everyone's staying hydrated, staying healthy, stretching. Um, let's get a full healthy squad. Hopefully we get Rob out there and we get good rotations and uh, we'll have Devante with his legs a little bit more. He was a little rusty, but we never saw bad Devante. Um, it's been good Devante no. so far. And I thought he looked pretty good defensively too. I was impressed how he looked defensively out there. It was nice. I mean, other than the shots, just not going through the hoop, which they're going to come again. He's, he has, he hasn't even scrimmaged with the team. He's, he's only barely practiced. So, yeah. um, that's going to come with him. So I, I look hopefully for Devante to, to, be Devonte again and and he looks confident and comfortable out there everyone does again the whole team no one looks stiff everyone looks looks uh looks re- relaxed and, and happy to be on that court yep all righty uh my thanks to mike decorsi for jumping on with us as he does every week chad thank you for being ready to go last minute since Ryan's out eating Colin Cowherd burgers, <laughs> look forward to getting his uh his review of the Colin Cowherd burger um and then again, if you want to get uh, the Banner Morning episodes, that's on a new feed now. So they're not going to come in, the, in this regular feed anymore. But go to BannerMorning.com and we've got all the links right there so that you can subscribe to it. Uh, subscribe to that feed so you get them. I just, we just didn't want it to mix up. And that way there will be a, little, a new logo when it's a Banner Morning episode. So you know the difference between the short Banner Morning episodes and our longer regular Assembly Call episodes. Um, and then uh, SeatGeek iutickets.shop and then uh, oh the other thing I wanted to mention is for home field if you use the URL homefieldiu.com it'll take you right to the home field Indiana page Chad is modeling the uh, the bison logo sweatshirt right there but I created that URL because I know when you go there sometimes that like, you got to go find shop for schools and then scroll down and it's not hard but it's nicer if you just have a URL so you can just go there and you're right at the IU page so homefieldiu.com that'll take you right there and when you use the promo code assembly two zero 
you will get 20% off. All right, uh, that'll do it for us on this week's episode of The Assembly Call. As always, to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights and Monday afternoons uh, for the live broadcasts. And then don't forget to go to assemblycall.com and text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thanks to Bob Thompson for producing a lot of the music that you hear on the show. Uh, and thank you for listening. We will talk to you again Wednesday night after IU Princeton and then Thursday night for Assembly Call Radio. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. I haven't actually said that in a while because I always do the clip of the player saying it. It's kind of <laughs> nice to say my own tagline again. <laughs> it has been a while. I, I yeah. like that you've got the guys, you've got the uh, ex-player saying it. It's pretty good. And now I'm gonna try, now I got to try and find some more of them. Was it was it Blackman that's got the uh, get buckets or get something buckets. like that? <laughs> yeah. I like it when they put their he, own spin. Yeah, his are really good. I like his. All right. Good stuff, man. Thanks for jumping right. on, Chad. No problem. And uh, talk to you guys on Wednesday. Later. See you. Look, staying healthy isn't easy. Watching your diet, hitting the gym, avoiding stress. But a good night's rest helps boost your overall health and wellness. And it couldn't be easier. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed is the only bed that effortlessly adjusts and responds to both of you. The result? You wake up ready for anything. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, the new Queen Sleep Number 360 P5 Smart Bed is only $17.99. Save $600. Only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five.